0: Hello, and welcome to Dr. Chris, the Surgery Guy. We are back. Uh, I would love to tell you that we're going to have a more regular cadence to these uh, broadcasts um, at this point. Until um, I can you know, afford a producer and things like that, uh, getting guests is the most challenging. But today we have the great pleasure, we're going to be talking with Dr. Nicole Rogers, who is an ER doc here locally, and discussing the differences and appropriateness for different patients regarding urgent cares, as well as emergency rooms, freestanding ERs, and who might be best for each. So with that, I am gonna welcome Dr. Nicole Rogers. Um, she is currently the ED Medical Di- or Emergency Room uh, Medical Director at Medical City Frisco. Uh, she did her training at uh, Medical School at UT San Antonio in San Antonio and residency in Arkansas at the uh, University of Arkansas in Little Rock. Uh, she's been practicing at Med City Frisco for a better part of 20 years and before that was at San Antonio. So, Dr. Rogers, I want to thank you very much for joining me today, and uh, say hello.
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me, Chris.
0: Yeah. So, I think the the thing that I thought was interesting, and this has been, you know, my partners and I, and practice in general, have have noticed um, a trend as we see more and more urgent cares, freestanding ERs, and I think there's a lot of confusion on patients or by patients for what those actually are, and so. They, they just don't know where to go. And so when they have a certain illness or whatever, they kind of think that they're all the same. And I think I think the goal today is that we define that for people and hopefully help them understand uh, what those differences might be. Um, and so in my mind, um, urgent care is kind of the first thing. And, you know, the, the name in some ways is a little bit misleading, but urgent care. So can you uh, what, what, what do you think an urgent care is? What, Absolutely. So yep. Yeah, urgent care?
1: care is something that it's it's an acute place. So you don't make appointments at urgent cares um, when you have an acute illness. You don't need an appointment. You can show up. Uh, most of them are not open to twenty four hours. They do have extended hours though. So for instance, they may be open from eight o'clock until midnight. So most of those are low acuity things. So if you have a fever, you have strep throat. You have a urinary tract infection or even minor injuries. If you think you have a broken bone or a small laceration, you can go to an urgent care. Um, They do some rapid testing. Those rapid tests might include x-ray, but you're not going to have any more advanced imaging. You won't have ultrasounds. You won't have CAT scans. You would have x-rays. They may do simple blood tests. So you might be able to get a CBC, but just very simple, basic blood tests. And then they usually have a urinalysis, pregnancy tests, things like COVID, flu and strep. Those are pretty much the extent of testing at urgent cares. So
0: who usually staffs an urgent care?
1: So that can be different. Um, they're, They're not board certified emergency physicians. Um, they may be a physician or they may be, um, an advanced practice practitioner, so they might be a nurse practitioner. Um, they may be a physician assistant. So there's different models at different urgent cares. They're always under the medical director of a physician, but most of the time it's not a board certified emergency physician. It could be a family practice doctor. Um, it could be doctors that, are not board certified in emergency medicine, but board certified in something else and they're mood at at urgent care. So staffing at urgent care is a little bit less consistent than freestanding emergency departments or hospital-based emergency departments.
0: Yeah, very, very true. Um, okay, and so I think you did a great job of covering like who might benefit from that and what services they might offer. Um, I think the only thing that I would add is that a lot of the times when you said may, I think that's an important thing. They may not, right? I've Absolutely. definitely dealt with some urgent cares that while they provide good community service, they have limited capabilities. I've seen some that did not have x-ray. I've seen some that really only had the rapid testing type things. So that means like a pregnancy test, a strep test, urinalysis, and just that's about it, not really a way to get blood work uh, in any kind of rapid way. They may be able to send it out, but not like immediate testing like an emergency room would be. Um, okay, so you kind of mentioned it, but you know, if, if you think that you're mildly sick, UTI, need a strep test, need a COVID test, that could be a great place to go. Um, Absolutely. But for other things, and I think one of the things that I've noticed is, and I've seen patients that did this you know, they went to an urgent care and then the urgent care told them to go somewhere else. And then, and at somewhere else then had to go. And I've had seen I've seen patients that actually got transferred two, three or four times even sure. uh, for different acuity levels. And I think that's one of the big things. So kind of covered urgent care. I think the next step up would be freestanding ER. What is that?
1: So freestanding ERs, there's two different models. Um there are freestanding ERs that are affiliated with a hospital. Um, like I work for Medical City Healthcare. So we have some freestanding emergency departments that are affiliated with a main hospital. Um, and then there are freestanding ERs that are out on their own. Most of those facilities have pretty extended services. Those are open 24 hours a day. Um, most of the time they have board-certified emergency medicine doctors. Um, they have more advanced imaging, they have CT scanners, Um, they may or may not have ultrasound. Um, Some do, some don't. So if you have something that's higher acuity, if you have abdominal pain, that's not a bad option to go to a freestanding emergency department. Um, There are a couple of different models. So there are some places that have a dual urgent care and freestanding model. So if I present to the same facility, between nine and five, and I think I have strep throat. That's gonna be billed as an urgent care visit, which is a better cost savings for a patient. But if I present to the same place at the same time of day with abdominal pain, you think you may be presenting to an urgent care, but because of your complaint and the the requirement for advanced imaging or blood tests, you're actually getting an emergency department bill at a freestanding ER. So patients often get confused and frustrated when they think they're going to their local local urgent care, but then they're checked into the freestanding emergency department. So the bill is going to be higher, but the services, there's more services that they can provide. Now, that being said, if you go to a freestanding emergency department and it turns out that you have appendicitis, now you're being transferred to a hospital to have your surgery for appendicitis. So like you mentioned, there are patients that have gone to multiple places. If they go to an urgent care for belly pain and the doctor thinks they have an appendicitis, then they go to a freestanding and they get the CT that shows that they have appendicitis. Then they go to a hospital now to get their appendix out.
0: Yes, the three visits. Yeah.
1: Yes. And that's it's frustrating for the patient. Um, But the, the community doesn't know the differences. And sometimes you really don't know. Um, there's times that you think you're having reflux, which be, would be an appropriate urgent care visit, but it turns out it's a heart attack. Yeah. So there are things that that happen every single day that you don't know until you go to the the, the right facility. So it can be hard to navigate. Sure. Uh, I can sure. tell you for me, if my kids have a fever in this day and age, you have to get them COVID tested um, or a positive strep may change the way you manage the patient. So, I take my kids to urgent cares when they have a fever, purely for convenience. Um, if I need to get them tested the next day and I'm working, an urgent care is a great option. You don't have to call and make an appointment. Um, you don't have to do it during business hours. But then if you have a more complex, the freestanding has more capabilities to do bigger workups.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's that's very important. I mean, I think the convenience of urgent care definitely... You know some of them have like you know online booking so you can kind of not like a restaurant you can book your place online, and that, that saves you, you time.
1: yeah
0: yeah no seriously <laughs> you get your uh,
1: text i guess it's not a pager anymore you get your text
0: yeah yeah pagers yeah we're showing our age Here um, we are <laughs> but when um yeah with the with the COVID stuff same thing my daughter needed one for something I don't, it was a couple years ago um and there's one nearby and i literally just plugged it into the computer and we live literally two minutes from it so as soon as I got the text, and we were there and we went right in. It was, it was great. Sure. Um, um, but yeah, um, they don't do everything. And so th- there's definitely advantages. And I, hopefully we're going to help people navigate, you know, where to go and when to go there. So freestanding ER, more services, um, a little bit more consistently staffed because they are ER. You know, and this is a question I don't actually know the answer to. Um, are they accredited in a different way, a freestanding ER? Is there a, accreditation? So
1: um, it's not really the accreditation that's the issue. It's what patients they take as far as payer status. So if I present to a hospital emergency department because of an MTALA law, you every patient gets seen. They get a medical screening exam. They get the appropriate testing. They get admission regardless of their funding, regardless of their ability to pay. They could have absolutely nothing. They could be self-pay. They could have private insurance or they could have Medicare or Medicaid. Just for now, clarification, tre-
0: that is the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act um, that says that. So that's what EMTALA stands for. I, people hear that sometimes. They don't always know what it means, but it was just a, a law that was passed um, because people, uh, Doctors were sort of not always being the best about seeing patients that did not have insurance, and so they they passed this law that basically, when you go to a hospital ER, you know you were required to be seen. Sorry, not not to echo that, but some people you brush by. Amtala and Hopefully, a lot of people are listening and they uh, get a little more information. Sorry, go yeah, ahead.
1: Yeah, I think it came about in in the '80s. Yeah, I think um, that's it right. used to be referred to as an anti-dumping act, yeah, which means right. you weren't dumping the patients someplace else. um great law it's it's the the um, emergency departments are the safety net for all of healthcare. now if you go to a freestanding a freestanding does not necessarily accept medicaid or medicare so they if a patient presents and they have medicare or medicaid or they don't have payment um, they don't have to be seen at the freestanding emergency department so that's another issue that if you are usually if you have private insurance they're going to cover a freestanding er but you will be asked for a payment as you check into those places. So that's a good thing for patient population to be aware of. You will get a bill that you're expected to pay immediately or they won't see you and they're not not mandated by the law to see you. Where if you go to a hospital-based emergency department, you can't ask for any payment information until you've actually been seen by a provider.
0: So with that, what would be the advantage of going to a freestanding ER? Uh,
1: Most of the time it's ease of access. Um, it's ease of access. It's, it's close to where you live. There's a reputation in the community of, of quicker, easier service. Now that's not always the case. It depends on how busy they are. There are some freestanding ERs that are busier than my hospital emergency department. Um, But the freestanding ERs in our local communities tend to get reputations um, good and bad. So the ones that have great reputations are very busy. Um, But they also run pretty effectively because they don't have all the red tape to go through, um, which makes it convenient for the patient.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the big thing, the ease of access. And I I think over and above everything, you know, if you feel ill and you feel like you need to be seen, get seen. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. Even if you make the wrong decision, they're going to at least get you the help you need. And even if it's a transfer to it's at least better than not being seen, uh, you know, survive, uh, don't drive, that kind of stuff. Get seen, get evaluated. But um,
1: hopefully, I mean, I can give you an example for my own child. Sure. Um, I had a toddler at one point that got croup all the time. I knew it was croup. I knew how to treat croup, and I'm a physician, but she wakes up with Strider trouble breathing at 2 a.m. and I know what she needs. So I've taken her to a freestanding ER because of ease of access. I knew the treatment she was going to need. I knew they would have it, and I knew more than likely she would get better with that treatment, but wouldn't require admission to the hospital. So I've been to urgent cares. I've been to freestanding ERs, and not very often do I have to go to the ER, but occasionally.
0: When you say ER, you mean a hospital ER?
1: A hospital ER. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, no. That, that's a that's a great example. I, I think uh, just as an aside, um, physicians in general shouldn't care for their own family (laughs) Um, or themselves, for that matter. Um, And I've I've always had that as a rule. The kids get sick. I, you know, I give a quick do they need to be seen or not seen evaluation and that's it. Um, I let someone else uh, make those decisions. Um, So anyway, um, so then so that's freestanding ER. And then when we talk about the hospital ER, what are we talking about here? Like what is what's the difference between that or freestanding?
1: Um, so freestanding ERs, like we talked about, they're um, it's not based. It's based on your payer status. So if I go to a hospital-based ER, you're following that anti-dumping law. Every patient gets seen. Um, it could be a problem that you've had for five years, or it could be a problem that you've had for five minutes. Every patient gets seen. Um, there's different sizes of emergency departments with different resources at each hospital. So. When you live in a community, it is kind of important to know the resources of your hospital. I'll use my local hospital. where about a hundred bed hospital. We have a lot of service lines, but we don't have everything. So for instance, we don't have vascular surgeons or we don't have cardiothoracic surgeons. So if I have a patient that has a thoracic aneurysm, I have to transfer that patient to my bigger facility, which in this area is Medical City Plano. Um, so there's different sizes of hospitals. Now, every hospital based emergency department should have the ability to stabilize a patient. They should not have they may not have things to do definitive care, but they should have the same resources to stabilize a patient. So I see patients from newborn to death. Um and so other places, you, if you're a child, you don't have to go to a children's ER. You can go to any ER and they'll see you. They'll have the resources to take care of you in the ER. But then definitive treatment may have to go someplace else, like a children's hospital, if they require admission. Or say you have a, a, a gunshot wound, which you and I have taken care of <laughs> together. If you have a gunshot wound, they may or may not be able to take care of at Frisco, we may have to send to Medical City of Plano, which is our bigger facility. Sure. So uh, different size hospitals with different service lines and different specialty call panels.
0: Yeah, I think I was on for both gunshot wounds that have come in in the last couple of years. And uh, you uh, have
1: been. <laughs> they were both my patients, too.
0: One was abdomen we could care for. One was chest we had to transfer, if I remember correctly. Yeah, if
1: yep, um, you remember that correctly.
0: So the um yeah, that's that's an interesting point. So what resources, how could a person in the community that wants to know this, wants to know kind of a a roadmap of where they might go for certain things. How could they find out from the hospital what they have that's available? Is that like website? Um,
1: No, that's actually a tricky question. So most hospitals may have consultants that practice at their facility. However, they don't necessarily take emergency department call. So that's the difference. Um, There are lots of specialists that have offices in a medical office building at a hospital, but if they don't take ER call, that limits their availability to attend to emergency situations. So if you have an eye injury, for instance, and it's 10 o'clock at night, the best resource for a patient is call their local hospital and see if they have an ophthalmologist on call. And then that ER can direct you either yes or no that they do. Um, That's a, a specialty that there's pretty limited emergency department call. So in this community, you may have to go to your next suburb to find an ophthalmologist.
0: Well, and in fact, I don't think ophthalmology call is required until you get to level one trauma centers. Um I don't think that ophthalmologists would otherwise take calls. So in this community, that's what MC Med City Plano, uh, Parkland Downtown, like uh, JPS. And Baylor. Baylor. Okay.
1: Uh, baylor baylor downtown and there are other hospitals that may have ophthalmology that aren't level one trauma centers but it's not very robust like medical city dallas is not a level one trauma center but it's a really big facility and they have ophthalmology call but that's that's really difficult for a patient to be able to navigate because even er doctors aren't going to know this unless you've worked at a facility. So if it's something more complex, like an eye injury, it's always a good idea to make a phone call or go to your local ER. Some ER doctors can take care of some minor eye injuries, but then if it's something more serious where they would need surgery, for instance, they would need to be transferred. But I would never expect patients to be able to navigate to that degree of detail. No. So oftentimes in what we do, Um, we're the experts at figuring out where to send the patients.
0: So I guess maybe a a little bit of a rule of thumb and totally just a rule of thumb would be that the more complex you might think your problem is maybe the slightly larger facility you might tend to go to. If you have a very, very complex health history, um, you know, you should kind of know maybe where your doctors are and things like that. Because I I do find patients that that don't. Um, Sure. um, So I think if, if you do have some complex medical issues, Definitely want to think about where, where you might go should you become ill. Um, and then if you have the ability to call, then you can certainly make a phone call. But when in doubt, get seen and you can be routed. Um, hopefully, we're trying to avoid some excess transfers. But of course, it's it's unavoidable um, as it is. So, you know, free, sorry, uh, hospital ER is sort of the the top tier in terms of where, you know, the complexity should be as well as, you know, the ability to care for all patients, regardless of their ability to pay um, insurance status and whatnot. So, you know, is there anything that you want to add as to where, you know, how patients should should make some of these decisions? Because I have some thoughts, but I wanted to kind of get your thought.
1: Well, I think like you mentioned, it really depends on the how complex your past medical problems are. If you have chronic problems with active treatment, say you have cancer, um, if you have multiple abdominal surgeries, um, if you have complex things like renal failure requiring dialysis, it's best that you go to a bigger hospital um, if you're ill. Now, if you don't know, it's always it's always fine to go to your local emergency department. They're going to be able to treat you and stabilize you and then navigate where they need to send you. They may be able to treat you definitively at your hospital or say you need dialysis. You're going to have to go to a facility that does dialysis. So it is a little bit difficult to navigate, but I think the complexity of your past medical history is a, is really a valid point.
0: And I think the other thing is, should you, if you're someone that's seeing a physician, you know, once a month for follow up and new and making sure you're, levels of whatever are, are okay. And it's being really tightly managed by whatever doctor. I, I think a great thing is ask them, where should I go if I'm sick, you know? Sure. Uh, you know, if you've got an oncologist that's treating your cancer, they're going to want to take care of you. Every oncologist I've ever met, they want to be the ones in control with regard to where their patients go and how they get treated. So I would definitely just just ask them. Ask the person who is managing the more complex nature of your problems. Uh, I think is a is a great place to at least start, particularly if you have complex medical history. Um, I think a, a couple other points that I, I'd like to add is if you've just recently had surgery and you have issues. Obviously, this is a, a little bit personal for me, but if you've just had surgery and you know you've got something going on, first thing, unless it's really emergent, like you can't breathe or there's severe bleeding or something that is like you need to get seen immediately, absolutely call the surgeon. Call the surgeon see where they want you to go um nothing is more frustrating for patients and frankly for physicians when you know one of my patients ends up going to another facility where i don't have privileges and so then then you get a phone call from some other place and they're like okay well now we got to transfer this patient and that's frustrating to the patient because not all patients understand that doctors work at specific hospitals and we can't necessarily go anywhere you know i have a texas medical license of course but, you know, I'm only credentialed at certain facilities. And so, you know, for a surgeon, I want to direct direct where a patient needs to go, you know, if there's some sort of issue after surgery.
1: Um, so that's. And in addition to that, we don't have access to everyone's medical record. Exactly. So if they have surgery at Baylor, I can't see what Baylor's operative report is or what their right. history and physical was or what their results of their imaging were if I work at Medical City Healthcare. So you really should go where your surgeon took care of you or at least within their system so that they have access to that physician or physicians that cover for that practice and their medical record, which can be very valuable in the treatment of a patient.
0: Yeah, particularly when it's you know midnight and maybe the surgeon hasn't been notified just yet, but at least then the ER physician can actually look everything up and get at least a sense of what's going on um, and get things started before they're able to contact the surgeon. Um, just to keep things efficient. So, yeah, totally agree. So, all right. So, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. Simple, straightforward. We're talking urgent care. um, A little bit more complex, freestanding ER, and then sort of most complex or unsure, maybe freestanding. So, a couple of things, maybe we play a little bit of a game here. It's <laughs> kind of something I've been <laughs> toying with my head here. Um, So if you're thinking that you're having a heart attack, if you're having chest pain, where should you go?
1: Call 911. That's what you should do. (laughs) So, you know, when when EMS responds to chest pain and you think you're having a heart attack, they're gonna know they work off a transport matrix. So they're gonna know which hospitals can emergently intervene um, for a heart attack. So for instance, there may be Three hospitals in Frisco that actually have a cardiac cath lab, where you can take that patient um, to the cath lab emergently and open up their vessel from the heart attack. Not all hospitals have cath labs. So, when you're having something serious and you need to call 911, 911 is going to know which hospitals take care of that problem. So, that's valuable when you're really sick, scared, can't breathe, bleeding, think you're having a heart attack. I never want people to get in the car to drive with me.
0: <laughs> that is excellent advice. Absolutely. There's a whole campaign and commercials about this, surviving, don't driving and all that. Um sure. Okay. So, take it down just a little bit Notch. You have heart history and you're having abdominal pain. Where should you go?
1: Um so that's kind of a choice. I think a freestanding ER can be appropriate. Um I tend to, doing what I do for a living, I would go to a hospital emergency department. I think anything complex, you're better off going to a hospital emergency department if you have a heart history, if you're having any complaints in the chest or abdomen, because a lot of those things can go together. I think if you have a heart history and you hurt your ankle, it's completely appropriate to go to a freestanding ER or an urgent care. Um, But if you're having anything that could potentially be your heart,
0: Okay. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's great advice too. So that twisted ankle, should they go to an ER or should they, i mean, sorry, a freestanding ER or should they go to urgent care?
1: I think an urgent care is completely appropriate for a twisted ankle. Now, if you have deformity, um, not just right. swelling, but deformity, then I would go to a freestanding ER or a hospital-based ER. But I think you sprain your ankle, it hurts, it's bruised, it's swollen, it's appropriate to go to an urgent care.
0: I think, you know, another uh, interesting point is free, uh, I'm sorry, urgent cares typically don't have a lot of medications available either. Um, at least the ones that I work with, they don't really have the ability to give pain medicine in a way to alleviate that. Um, at least there, you know, they, they don't really do IVs. They don't, uh, typically do that kind of thing. So if you need hydration,
1: i, I think most of the things like um, medication wise you're right there's going to be oral medication and an occasional shot at an urgent care you're not going to get iv medication you might get a shot of antibiotics or a shot of steroids but other than that it would just be oral medications yes. where a freestanding er is going to have iv fluids iv medications iv pain medications mm-hmm. iv antibiotics
0: Sure. And, and some of these freestanding ERs can actually observe patients for a while. Um, there's at least a couple that I work with where they they can watch up to about 23 hours for sort of a, a short stay, if you will, uh, you know, like for rehydration therapy or, or something like that, if you had the flu and dehydrated. Um, okay. So who should not go to urgent care?
1: That's that's a tricky one. I think if you're a dialysis patient, I think if you're a transplant patient, I think if you actively have cancer and I think if you have an extensive medical history, you should not use an urgent care.
0: Except for maybe the most minor minor, minor, minor,
1: maybe an earache, maybe an earache, maybe an ankle sprain.
0: And even then, anything else, you said one of those things and I would say transplant.
1: Transplant, never go to an urgent care.
0: Almost never. I mean, I think urgent cares are great. We work with them all the time. Um, and for the most part, I, I agree with you that certain things can be great for that. But transplant patients, there are so many things that can be much bigger deals than you might think they are, um, that you you want to have your transplant person and coordinators and whatnot, like on speed dial, uh, so that when there's an issue, you can be there. Uh, and I've gotten hurt with that, with surgical, uh, you know, like- sure. Bowel obstruction stuff and a liver transplant is a little bit different, um, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, just so because things are hooked up kind of different. Uh, yeah, so for the most part, I, I agree. I think most people can can partake of an in urgent care in certain scenario in many scenarios um, as at least a starting point. So, and your
1: ten year old with a fever compared to your sixty year old transplant patient, definitely complete different workup. Um, One's appropriate for an urgent care. One is never appropriate for an urgent care.
0: Good question. What about an infant with a fever?
1: Um, I would recommend if you're two and above, you go to an emergency department if you're concerned. If you're less than... I'm sorry, I said that opposite. If you're two and above, an urgent care may be appropriate. Less than two... Definitely more nuances to that. Definitely want to be seen by physician. Um, More training is better. Um, You know, kids, infants can't tell you where they're hurting. They can't tell you what's wrong. You're getting your history from a parent. Um, Much more different, more medical nuances to that. I think two and above is appropriate.
0: Yeah. But
1: you have to look at your child too. If it's a healthy kid that has a fever that's age four, great. But if it's a... Four-year-old with sickle cell or diabetes or chronic asthma, probably not going to an urgent care. So a lot of it, like adults, it depends on what kind of chronic illnesses your child has. But a healthy four-year-old with a fever, completely appropriate for an urgent care.
0: Totally totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. The, those kids under two, man, they they are scary.
1: <laughs> they can be. Uh, they... Luckily, most of them aren't sick. I need to knock on wood somewhere. But luckily, most of them aren't sick. But... The when ones that sick. are, they can go down really quickly and they can get sick really quickly. And that's certainly you don't have as much bandwidth on those kids and yeah. they're difficult because they can't they can't tell you what's going on.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, I, trust me. I didn't go into pediatric pediatric surgery for a reason. <laughs> Talk about nuance. Ugh. All
1: right. So yeah, no kidding.
0: Um, very good. So is there anyone that shouldn't use a freestanding ER?
1: So freestanding ERs, there's so many nuances to that. Um, Medicaid patients, Medicare patients, a lot of freestanding ERs will not take those. Uh, those are government funding and most freestanding ERs are not affiliated with hospitals. So they may not even be able to be seen at a freestanding ER because there's issues with the, the payment issue. Um, as far as medically most freestanding er's have a lot of services they've got ct scans most of them have ultrasound they've got board certified emergency physicians freestanding ERs are pretty good just understanding that if you have to be admitted to the hospital or you need emergent intervention um, or you need surgery then freestanding er's you're going to be transferred right yeah, so as long as you're, you understand that, that you may need to be transferred, I think they're appropriate for most patients.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a it's a little bit of a, an educated gamble. You know, if you, you think it's kind of like, well, I need to go to an ER because I don't feel good or this and that. Um, but I don't think I'm going to be admitted. You know, you're going to save some time. It's convenient. It might be closer. Uh, a lot of times less waiting times or you can even check the waiting times online. Um, So, there's a lot of advantages just knowing that on the chance that you need to be admitted, there's some inconvenience. Um, Sure. So, a little bit of a gamble. Um, And then, you know, with a a regular hospital, ER, hospital-based ER, you know, you're never really going to be wrong going there. I can't think of a reason. I guess, system-wise, we would like lower acuity patients to not, you know, kind of clog the system, I guess, with regards to a larger ER, hospital-based ER, but when it really comes down to it, I mean, you're at least going to get appropriate care. You're not going to really, sure. you're not going to like overshoot necessarily and be in the wrong place because you went to the hospital ER. You just might incur a lot more charges than are necessary, um, and you know have a lot longer wait time uh, for something a little bit more minor. But in general, I, I can't think of a reason that you wouldn't go to a hospital ER. At least
1: nothing. The about- only thing that that it's just more about patient education. Um, You people tend to have, especially the more educated they are, they have more expectations. So if they injure their knee, they may know that eventually they're going to need an MRI. Well, MRIs of the knees are never done emergently. Right. So if you're coming to a hospital ER because you think you're getting an MRI of your knee, that's not going to happen. So you're going to be frustrated you're going to be mad that you can't get that study that you ultimately may need but what we do in the emergency room is we're ruling out things that need to be fixed right then things that are life-threatening um stabilizing injuries and basically navigating what your next steps are so if you hurt your knee you're going to get an x-ray to rule out a fracture you may get put in a knee immobilizer get pain medicine, get put on crutches, and then you're going to be referred either back to your primary care doctor or to an orthopedic surgeon to order your MRI. So really the only time that it's not appropriate to come to the ER is if you have an expectation that you're going to get a non-emergent study done quickly. It doesn't happen that way.
0: It's not a shortcut. Yeah, that's that's excellent advice because, yeah, I think I think we do see some of that. Like, oh, you know, my my doc's ordered this MRI and I couldn't get it scheduled for another three weeks. I'll just go to the ER and they can 100%. do it right now and yeah the reality is we do emergent mris in certain scenarios um, at certain facilities but not as a routine and certainly not for that kind of thing um, typically uh, kind of more brain type stuff i would think stroke wise sure. but even then that's usually ct um, emergent mri is not as useful uh, in general there's exceptions of course
1: sure And MRIs, I mean, some MRIs, you're on the table for a full hour, right? So you think about if your mother you think is having a stroke, and they may need the MRI, you don't want that one MRI table tied up for an hour on a patient that's getting a non emergent MRI of their knee. So it's not there are a lot of nuances to that.
0: Yeah, the chronic knee pain for six months is delaying the uh, the stroke patient for sure. Not Correct. not a good plan.
1: Yeah, it's we not had, like an X ray where you get the X ray in two minutes. An MRI, you're tying up the table.
0: Yeah, and even and there's
1: only so more so many radiology techs that are actually trained to do MRIs. Right. So you have to allocate your resources to the sickest patients that need the emergent studies.
0: Yes, triage triage is a thing uh, for sure. Um, you know, fortunately, we we kind of live in a world where there are a lot of ERs, um, and you know, it's not we don't get as bogged as although during during COVID we sure did, didn't we? Um but uh yeah and we have resources available we just still have to manage them carefully because even if sure. the machine's available, we don't want to be taking it up with something that um is non-emergent for sure. Interesting. Um yeah well cool. I think hopefully I think we've I think we've kind of covered uh you know I I I hope that when if a patient were to listen to this they'd kind of get the idea of that an urgent care is not the same thing as a freestanding ER. And in, an urgent care, it's not gonna be labeled emergency room. It's gonna be labeled urgent care. And if you're in doubt, make a phone call. Hey, can you do COVID tests? Can you do pregnancy tests? Can you do what you think you might need? That's at least a starting point. You may still end up with some some transfers based on kind of where you're at, but you know, uh, I think a phone call is not a bad idea. And you know, like you said, with freestanding ERs, I mean, they're gonna be able to provide a whole host of services um, that you know, in many ways, mimic a, a regular hospital ER, um, with some limitations based on funding, um, and then it, the admissions requiring, uh, you know, transfer. Um, some of them have transfer agreements, so it's pretty straightforward. Some of them have to make several phone calls, so sometimes that's a quick process, sometimes it's not. Um, but yeah, I think um, that's a, that's a lot. I mean, I, making a phone call is not a bad idea. If you if you feel like you can drive yourself or get driven safely to an ER, uh, a quick phone call might help you uh, make that decision. And if you are a chronically ill person with a lot, a lot of medical problems, definitely reach out to the physician that cares for you the most, and they are gonna help you get the best care um, without having to repeat yourself because they already know you kind of stuff.
1: Absolutely, Um, great advice.
0: Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's great. Um, Anything else you wanna add? Can't
1: think of anything else. (laughs)
0: Well, this has been great. I, hopefully, um, a little bit more information for the public and um, whoever, all, you know, all 10 people that watch or, or listen to this. Um, <laughs> you know, this won't be on video. I'm not recording the video. So uh, we're not going to be on video. It's just audio. Um, but yeah, I'll uh, kind of add this. I hope this was helpful. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think more information is better. And th- there's just a lot of people that just don't know what the differences are. And they kind of assume that all doctors are equivalent. All facilities are basically equivalent. I mean, we live in a world where people are kind of surprised that I'm not going down to x-ray to do their their CT scan or whatnot like they see on house or Ray's Anatomy or whatnot. <laughs> um, and while I actually have done that once or twice, I'm still not running the machines. The techs do that, um, <laughs> but I, I have watched a CT get done live and I'm sure you have too, but that's not the norm. Um, I ordered a somewhat- And urgent... I'm not
1: putting the IVs in, so. yeah.
0: If I have to put an IV in, it's not going in the arm. I can tell you that. It's going into a more central vein.
1: Uh,
0: So, yeah. So, very good. Well, again, I appreciate it, Dr. Rogers. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Um, Yeah, I think uh, maybe this could be a segment of urgent care stuff and how to deal with it uh, in the future. So, thanks again. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah.
1: Great talking to you, Chris.
0: All right, cool. do want to give a shout out to Approaching Urbana for the rights to the music you heard during this podcast. Shout out to Andrew over there and you can find their music at www.approachingurbana.com
1: Thanks again.